All right, we want to go through a quick review of the things that we have established at this point, um, or some of the things, uh, as we get to uh, Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, And so the first thing is we've established that a man named Jesus of Nazareth lived. And when I say what we've established so far, and specifically concerning Christ um, in this section, and what we can know without using the Bible, without even picking up a Bible, we can know that that is true, a uh, statement of historical fact. We can also know that he had a following that worshipped him as God. That is recorded by other people. And we also know that Jesus was crucified. Several um, people attest to that fact. Uh, so, so we know that. Uh, but we have this problem in that people still wish to challenge the challenge Christ as God. We we can't do some of those ridiculous. So we we went through that all already. Uh, but we want to look at this from a different angle, and, uh, and so we immediately come to the resurrection. Why is it important to discuss the resurrection? That's it. It comes down to that central point. Um, uh, so, from from uh, you know, from the point of just talking about Christ, we get to the resurrection, and, and people in people instinctively know where they're vulnerable, right? Um, and we set up, you know, if you start talking with somebody and they're getting to a vulnerable point in whatever the conversation is. You kind of feel it before they ever get there, and you put roadblocks in the conversation uh, to steer them clear. Um, and uh, and that in this in this topic of of the resurrection, people understand that's where they're vulnerable. You look at the Book of Acts; they constantly preached Christ risen from the dead. That's the entire point of the old Old and New Testament: is Christ risen from the dead. Uh, so, so the objection then arises. People are trying to cut off this before we get to Christ risen. Because if Christ is risen, then then that's it. Uh, they they've lost everything. So, uh, so we're going to talk about that. So here's the objection. Uh, oh, and I want to I want to read one more thing. Uh, if someone could read First uh, Corinthians fifteen seventeen, and this is not again. This is not establishing the resurrection, but it's establishing the point that we just made. It'll underscore that idea. First Corinthians fifteen seventeen. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is feeble. You are still in the Okay, so Paul recognized this uh, as they're talking about the resurrection, and there's a group of people that that are believing. Here they are, religious people claiming to be Christians that, that are teaching kind of what the Sadducee had taught. You know, here's a small group of people that don't don't believe in the afterlife. It's like, if there's no afterlife, then Christ didn't raise. And if Christ didn't raise, then everything we're doing here this morning is pointless. So, so he recognized that the Christian faith hung on this concept, and people recognized that. So it was like, well... You can't force me to live Christianity 
if there's no resurrection from the dead. So Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Um, so we want to go through this uh, and look at uh, this first objection to the resurrection is to cut it off before it even, before it even gets going. Before we even have Christ coming back from the dead and all those theories, what if Jesus merely swooned? He was perceived to be dead, but he was revived later. So there, you know, when no one was looking, the apostles kind of helped him out, or however this happened. Uh, what if that happened? Well, I think on the face of it, we recognize that it's kind of absurd, but let's not look at it from people who are biased. I suppose it has some, some merit if you wanted to, to think about it. Okay, it's, it's a worthwhile theory to investigate. So, so we're going to uh, deconstruct this bit by bit. So the first thing we would do is look at the origin of this theory, and it's quite suspicious. Um, it's not that old at all. It appears first in the year 1780. That's the first time in history someone dared suggest that Jesus didn't survive crucifixion. Um, and uh, so this guy, who is this guy? Carl Friedrich Barth. Who do you think Carl Friedrich Barth might be? Of? Okay, that's, in a way that's true. You, you go atheist, right? He is a preacher's son, and he was a pastor. Kind of, kind of hooked you there, right? He's a, he's a Lutheran minister in Germany. And uh, uh, he was not considered by his peers to be a very well-trained one. He was a... Uh, he got his job by nepotism. <laughs> so, um, among other things... And so there's a timeline that's important to understand this. He was um, eventually expelled uh, from ministry in 1778. And by ministry, he had, he had already been like, kicked out of individual churches, but however this worked in Germany, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they had a lot of freedom of religion at this point or not. Uh, but he was forbidden either by his faith or by the country to practice clerical work completely. So that was the, it, it had to do with more than just how he was trained or how theological he was. And some people have called him the worst theologian ever. <laughs> so, um, uh, but 1778 is important. That's when he's kicked out. Uh, the next year he joins the Freemasons. So he thinks he's part of this Illuminati group and all that nonsense, right? Um, and um, he ended up wanting to discredit traditional Christianity. He wanted to, to preach a Christianity, and he had some book that he was trying to sell that no one was buying, um, about basically a, a, a moral Christianity without anything supernatural. Um, he wanted to remove all the miracles and all that and just preach to, Jesus said, to do good things, basically. Uh, so you see the timeline there. Uh, so that is right before this year in which he's introducing this. Uh, so it really dates to him being, he's a disgruntled ex-employee is what he is. Um, so uh, so that's, that's the, the, where the theory comes from. 
a highly suspicious origin, right on the face of it. But let's go into um, early rumors. What was the early rumors of Christ uh, at the death and resurrection? What were, people who didn't believe, what was the first? We've mentioned it. What was the first? Okay, so what does that assume? They all assumed that Jesus died. Every observer assumed a dead body. So, uh, they had witnessed it. Uh, They had seen it. If you see a death, you know you've seen a death. I mean... A, a, a gruesome one at that is like you know you go and you make, people will post fails you know oh look at that fail it's like some of them it's like I know that a person died right there because I I can't watch those uh, it's like you know you're watching a person die and uh, it, to see it up close and personal like that um, those people wouldn't have dared. Do you know what the word excruciating means? Huh? It doesn't... It, we, we use it for like extremely painful, right? The word excruce uh, is two Latin words. It means out of the cross. Uh, it was a word that was invented, I guess, by Romans to uh, describe the type of pain that they observed of people who had been crucified. It is, as one person described it, a symphony of pain. Uh, and we're going to get into, into that um, in just a second. But, but another evidence of this, um, we have to look at the job of a Roman centurion specifically, uh, any Roman soldier. Um, it's been said that the job of the military is to break things and kill people. That's what their job is to do. Um, that was never more true than of a Roman soldier. They were experts at killing. Um, they knew their job well. And to uh, a centurion, who and there's a centurion at this site, is a supervisor of soldiers. He's risen up through the ranks. He's been at, at fronts. He's He's done all these things. We, we kind of attribute, and I, maybe this is a side effect of atheism, that we go back in time and we, we, can, we think that people long ago were so uncivilized and um, almost, almost you know, prehistoric man. There were com- completely stupid people. And we have to assume here <clears throat> two things that are, that are unlikely. One, that a Roman soldier didn't know how to kill. Right. To, to picture a Jesus who died or wasn't dead in the tomb, we have to assume a Roman soldier, just an average ordinary soldier, didn't know how to kill somebody. They were good at killing. There's, there's, it's not an accident that they took over the world right, from a little boot-shaped country. And second, it would it would assume even less likely that a supervising soldier didn't know how to identify when he was looking at a corpse. And somehow this, this person got off of the cross and, and was not dead under his supervision. 
when their lives were at stake for making sure they did their job well. So, it, it, it's already ridiculous. But we're, we're going to completely uh, flatten this theory. Uh, crucifixion had a number of lethal events that occurred. And it wasn't just killing. It was like you could die any number of ways. I mean a massive number of ways, and some that I'm not even going to list here. Uh, so, so the first one would be blood loss. Um, what you see there is a picture. Um, one is a kind of a, a design or artist rendition of what they call a flagrum, which was a scourge. The bottom picture is actual spurs that they use. It's, they're worn down with age now, but those would have been spiked barbs that were woven into a flagrum. And when, when they scourged a person, they bent him over so that his skin was tight. Um, and they would whip him to lacerate across. So if his muscles are going this way, they lacerated across it to get maximum blood loss. Um, a significant number of people who were scourged never made it to the cross. Um, there was massive blood loss. We haven't talked about the crown of thorns. We haven't I mean, just uh, it is it is a gruesome, gruesome event. Um, and in the blood loss, even if it didn't kill him, will figure into some of the other things. Uh, that happen. Um, so uh, if if that didn't get him, uh, then the the spear through the right side, up through organs, the lungs, and into the the I forget which one of the chambers of the heart, but the lower right chamber of the heart is going to do the trick. Um, so. Uh, they knew what they were doing. So, so that's, the, that's the, the first. But we come to the second, which would be asphyxiation. And there are some that suggest that this is what happened to Christ. Now, when you were crucified, uh, you were crucified in a way uh, when you were put on it uh, so that uh, you had a nail here, not here, but here. And um, and through through your either your feet or your ankle I can't remember which, uh, but you were twisted, and the twisting was done for a specific reason. It made it so that when you were resting down, your body was actually in an inhaled position. Or is that yes? You were inhaled. You were you were opposite at rest. Typically, you want to be exhaled, so you had to push up. To exhale. I mean, think about that. You're 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 suffocating, and, and you have to use a nail through your feet as leverage to push up on to push your body weight up every time you want to exhale. And so what happens is fluid is building up in his lungs because as he gets more and more tired, uh, he's not able to breathe. Uh, so he's and so some people suggest that when blood and water flows, that that's actually water from the lungs uh, that's coming out. That, and so he's asphyxiating slowly as that fluid builds up in his lungs. So it's not pleasant stuff, I know. Um, 
but this is what's happening. Uh, right, at the end, at the end, if there was a reason that they needed to get them off of the cross, or typically uh, Roman crucifixions, they didn't. They only did that like under, like with the Sabbath where they needed to get them off the cross. Most times they were just left there to die and decompose. Uh, they would just let the birds eat them. So, um, not, not a pleasant um, thing. So, so let's look at our next fatal event here, which is heart failure. This is another theory that's proposed for what, what possibly happened. So your, your body senses when you need oxygen, right? You're, when you're, if you're running or doing anything in which you need oxygen, how does your, how does your body compensate for that need? Okay, your heart rate goes up. Right? You, that's just a natural thing. Your body understands that your brain kicks that in. <clears throat> the, other, the other thing <coughs> that causes this to do this is, I mean, your body senses lack of oxygen for any number of reasons. One of those is if you have lower blood, like a lower blood level, right? So if I have less blood, my body's not getting the blood it needs, which means it's not getting the oxygen it needs. So it's going to speed up my heart rate. Problem being that Jesus has lost so much blood, he doesn't have a lot to give. So he's going to go what, into what's called, um, I'm going to try to pronounce this, um, ventricular tachycardia. Sound right? Did I do good? Which is, uh, or advanced or elevated, however they, they uh, with the official phrases, I'm not sure, but approximately 170 to 300 beats per minute, and the higher it goes, the lower your, your it, it's like, it, it's like, it's not a straight line as to the faster it goes, the, the shorter your lifespan. As it increases, you know, like towards 300 beats per minute, it's considered a, an emergency event. Um, so this is what's happening to Jesus um, so, so there's that fourth would be dehydration uh, open wounds now Jerusalem in uh, contrary to our you know our maybe our imagination that's a desert uh, or whatever uh, is not in April is not that hot, but it is dry, and and so uh, open wounds. Um, he's very dehydrated, blood loss. He's extremely dehydrated. What's one of the things he says on the cross? I thirst. Well, we're talking about a, a dehydration beyond, you know, I'm thirsty, but. Uh, his tongue would be swollen in his mouth, barely be able to swallow. Uh, just he's he's unrecognizable, and that's what that's what the Bible says of this man. We, we couldn't even recognize him. That's that's 
the condition of the person that we're looking at. And finally, uh, tetanus or some other infection. Today, do you know that um, in the Philippines, people actually crucify themselves? Uh, obviously not terminally, uh, or they don't intend to. Uh, they'll put a, they put a nail through their hands, and they're on a cross, and they, they're actually held up there with ropes because they, they think they're still through the palms, which you can't support your body weight through the palm. There's no bone. There's no tendon right there. Uh, but the Philippine authorities have to warn them every year, don't do it, you'll get tetanus. Right? Don't do it. You will get infected, you will die. People do it every year. It's a Catholic... Philippines are incredibly Catholic, and but they're, they've got it mixed with their other local, you know, superstitions. So, um, and not a very sanitary uh, time period. Uh, and so, um, so if 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 this if he is going through any number of these things, would would kill a person. And he's got all of them that to contend with. So the chances that he made it through this event it's not it's just not a tenable position. However, we now have complications in the tomb. Because the theory is, well they took him up and he came to in the tomb because he's not under watch, he's not under everybody's eye. Okay. We have a couple of problems here, which should seem obvious. Uh, so the first is he's got these, all those five conditions haven't stopped. He's still got blood loss. He's still got all these things. He's still got a growing infection. He's still got all these things. Those are only getting worse. So, so those conditions, he's in a tomb. He's, I mean, there's no medical treatment in there. So untreated conditions are going to worsen, uh, and it would have finished them off pretty quickly. Uh, blood loss, various things like that. So uh, deprivation. What I mean by that is no food or water. So his body's not going to be, even if somehow his blood were able to clot, He's still not making blood. He doesn't have the food or water that he needs for his body to produce anything. Um, we have another problem. And we are going to reference the Bible not as proof of anything, but as a historical document. And it's kind of important to note that the people that were closest to him did not expect a resurrection. Um, but he's got an embalming process he's gone through. He's, uh, it, it, we talked about the Shroud of Turin, which is a fake. They, they, they didn't embalm like that. Um, so what they did is they had a face cloth that went over. So he's already he's going to be suffocated now. Um, and then the Bible tells us that, uh, the book of John tells us that um, uh, Nicodemus, I think, brought 70 pounds of, or 75 pound mixture of aloe and myrrh. Then they took rat, what they call windings. That's what uh, some of your modern versions call it a shroud because of the influence of the Shroud of Turin. But it's, that's a bad 
translation. It's literally windings or cloths, uh, much like Egyptian. They were influenced by Egyptian mummification. And they would alternately wrap and coat and wrap and coat and wrap and coat the body. So Jesus would have, if none of that took care of him in the tomb, he would have suffocated. I mean, 75, you're cased in 75 pounds of something. You're not going to survive that. Um, so he's been embalmed. Um, we have some escape difficulties. We have a what has been calculated to be a one and a half to two ton stone from the inside with no leverage in an incredibly weakened state. What did the women say when they came? That's significant. Why is that significant? A group of women coming to a tomb on the outside did not expect that they were going to be able to move this stone. Healthy women, a group of them. <laughs> and we are going to give a man who's, if not dead, close, that close to death. On the inside, with no tools, with no anything at his disposal. That's a first century tomb. That's not a that's not a mock-up. That's a that's a a, a tomb. That's a, rich people had these types of tombs. Not not everyone had those kind of tombs. Poor people had like a like a it almost looked like a cork that they would kind of roll near it and then push into it. Um, but but this would be. Uh, this might even be like one of the Herods or something like that. Rich, and we know that he was buried in a rich person's tomb. So, uh, so his would look more like there that. Yeah, unless they used unless they used some sort of fulcrum or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Right. Yes, yes. And that's true. Tombs were not for one person. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, you, you, you can kind of see there that it, like, it had a, a, almost like a ledge and then it kind of drops down in. Is what it, I, I can't see it, but it does kind of look like there's a drop and it looks like it's built down kind of. But I don't know from, if I can tell from that picture exactly. So... Um, either way, not a not an easy task. Yeah, even if we assume no guards, even if we say, well, they made that up later. Okay, no guards. Try it. Well, we can test it out on you. See if you can do that. So, so that's a, a significant problem. Um, So we've gone through some of that. He's got nerve damage. I want to go back to the, the crucifixion because we talked about, and this is one of those uh, uh, aspects of the, the crucifixion that's important. Uh, 
You ever whacked your elbow and you get that feeling that goes up? Jesus would have been feeling that constantly in both legs and both feet because you have a nerve, and I don't, I'm not even, I don't even know, not even going to try to pronounce or call whatever the nerve is, goes right there, and it goes right through where they put nails. So it's not whacking it, they put a nail right through it. So he's got to deal with that. He has got major nerve damage and permanent. So, so he's got to, with major nerve damage now, he's got to unwind himself from an embalming thing rather quickly before he suffocates. And then try to manipulate this, this massive right. It's ridiculous once you start investigating it. A lot of theories are like that. It's a nice theory until you actually start putting the math to it. Uh, and and we've got this prolonged confinement. It's the Sabbath. He's got to survive in this condition for at least 36 hours. Until, because why? What's significant about the Sabbath? No work and... No travel. No work, no travel. That's why they were in such a hurry. That's why they were coming back with more spices to do finish the job because they had done a hasty job because they didn't have the time and they they couldn't a bomb that was considered work. Rolling a stone, we know the ridiculous things is considered work. And they don't live there. Where do they live? Where do these women live? Where does Jesus stand? The last week, he's going back and forth between, he's shuttling, every day he goes back and forth. Remember the story of the fig tree? They saw it in the morning, and then they're seeing it. At, I was like, oh, that was shriveled yesterday. He's going back and forth between Jerusalem and where every day? Bethany. So we have this post-escape problem. Uh, you see the Temple Mount on the left, and over on the right, you probably can't see the word. It kind of mixes into the... Um, if we assume, we don't know where the tomb was. There's a bunch, there's a bunch of different sites that are proposed as it. Uh, the nearest would be somewhere in the Mount of Olives to Bethany. The nearest that he could, we could possibly find a tomb that would, uh, that would be a tomb Jesus was in would be on the Mount of Olives. Uh, and that would be about two and a half miles away from Bethany. Over not easy terrain. This is not this is not just kind of a stroll. So a man in this condition, having just escaped, with all these obstacles, then walks two and a half miles. Um, and then there's one more major uh, problem. Uh, what kind of Jesus did they meet? What's that? Okay, I'm I'm not even okay. So so let's we think of the Bible saying okay he was healthy he was doing this thing and all without even trying to use let, let let's look at it from an angle. What were what were they all doing? 
Yeah. Before that. What's that? I mean, right after, right after Jesus dies, what what are they doing? They're scared. They're hiding. What else? Yeah, I'm going back to work. That was a nice ride. That didn't turn out like I wanted it to. They're depressed. They're in disbelief. They're stunned. They are not inspired people. Describe these same men two months later. What can we say about them two months later? Confident bull. To what degree? Okay, so so they're defying the people that just killed Jesus or crucified Jesus. They had just embalmed. They had just embalmed him. They've seen the massive trauma to his body. Any? Yes. They were dramatically changed by whatever it was they saw. A, 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 a Jesus that they would have had to nurse back to health would have not inspired any confidence. It would have only made them more afraid of the authorities that the same thing could happen to them. Something dramatic happened. So whatever condition they saw Jesus in, it was a good condition. And that's one of the evidences for the resurrection. But you have to begin with the fact that Jesus died. But it's, it's, it's such a ludicrous theory, and that's obviously why it, it took almost 1,800 years for someone to propose it. Right? Like the people that saw the event would have never even dared of that, because they knew what crucifixion was. They would have been laughed off the face of the earth if a Pharisee would have suggested that they didn't. So he, well, he's just... So. All right, we're dismissed.